Hello, everyone, and welcome to Esoterica. I'm Leah Eichler, and I'm delighted that you've decided to join us today. Uh, today, we are speaking with Orit Bendori. Now, Orit is a writer with over 20 years of experience uh, working across multiple mediums, screenplays, short story sales to studios. She's been published uh, in a nonfiction series for Simon & Schuster, or anthology, rather, uh, she's authored, no I mean, I can go on and on, authored novels. She launched a popular blog. She pitched a TV series. I'm like, like she is a one woman machine. So welcome, Orit. Thank you. Wow. What an intro. Great to be here, Leah. It's really great to chat with you. So I've, there's lots on the, on the plate today, but I really want to start off. Orit recently um, published an essay in um, an anthology called Midlife on Fire, Ooh, get that in there, Midlife on Fire. Um, and uh, and it really caught my attention uh, because uh, I have to, I'm in midlife. <laughs> so, uh, so Midlife on Fire, and you know, it, it struck me that this, why don't I, I'll have you talk about the essay. Why don't you tell me about the essay? Yeah, um, well, the essay, you know, is always part of, it's sort of the, the tail end of what has been under underground, the journey that, um, that I've, I've lived getting to this point in my life and in, in midlife where um, motherhood, the motherhood journey, the fertility journey and the, uh, and the career journey as well that you so oh. kindly prefaced um, with sort of getting, getting to this point in life where I think many women feel um, that it's, it's overlooked sort of the beauty around making these choices and in, mm -hmm. in, in your midlife rather than when you're, you know, in your twenties or your thirties and you're overwhelmed or you do become a parent. Um, and then your life starts later or the loss of career that you might've had and all of those kinds of conflicts and struggles that many of them, I believe being here now, um, it's sort of being older absolves you a lot of a lot of that, those existential burdens and questions of what's going to happen when I'm in my midlife and my kids are out of the house and I, my career is gone or I have to restart this. Um, and those sort of grieving moments of what you could have, the life you could have led if you were, um, you know, had not been a parent. Um, right. And of course, that doesn't detract it. It's, you know, a beautiful thing. And I always wanted to be a mother, but um and so the essay really is about the beauty of choosing motherhood in midlife and um, how that's, how that, that's a, I feel that this has been, always been my path. And mm. there are reasons that perhaps the fertility journeys I, I, I married, I got married to my, to my now husband um, a bit later. So I, I had to, we had to sort of rush to try to do that because we wanted to be parents. Um, and yet when those fertility attempts did not succeed, I did believe there was a bigger reason for it, that, that the timing wasn't quite there or that it wasn't the path that we were meant to be on. And so ultimately it led us to where we are now, where we're pursuing adoption. Um, mm -hmm. And I, and I, and it, I trust it. And I believe that it's, that it's right. And it's also letting go and, and, and knowing that I didn't have control anymore. Um, and it, right. and so, and, and therefore a lot of the career struggles that I have are suddenly flourishing. It's, it's, it's as if, you, you can, there is a way to do both and to have and, and to trust and and see what will come and then sort of cross that bridge at the time right so uh, where are you right now in the in the adoption process um well it's it's been it's been a um it was something we knew we wanted to do um in our deep in our hearts and but we pursued um 
you know, science and reproductive technology and all that, and um, which is a lot of what my writing ended up being in that interim, um, which I'll talk about as well. Um, right. So now we um, just completed our home study. The paperwork mm -hmm. is crazy. You know, when people say, oh, you can just, imagine. just adopt. If you can get pregnant, you know, you'll just adopt. A, I never thought of it as a backup plan, right? This right. For us, it's the plan. So there's a sort of demystifying that. Um, and then all the paperwork, it's, it's, so you don't just decide to get pregnant and then you got a baby and I know that's got its own hurdles, obviously challenges, but this is, they make it really, really hard for you to help a baby. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah. so that can be very daunting. And so constantly returning to that place of, of, you know, why am I doing, what is, this is my purpose. This is what I want. And, and, pushing through. So we, that was a mountain to climb and it, and it, it was a reason I think we delayed. And then with the pandemic, we sort of dropped it. So now we're about to advertise to um, this private adoption and uh, domestic adoption. So for a newborn, so we're about to start advertising to get it, to uh, get matched. With oh, so you have to advertise, like you have to sell yourselves as a family, essentially. Is that, is that how it works? Mm -hmm. And I used to be in advertising, so although this is, <laughs> this is right up your alley, I get in a weird sort of way. Tagline, lay up your writer. Tagline <laughs> for myself, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you've been writing about fertility and motherhood uh, for, I, I think you mentioned 10 years now. Uh, so, I mean, it started with um, with uh, your um, your the anthology, the Simon & Schuster anthology, where you wrote about this. Can you tell, like, let's backtrack. So where have you come in that 10 years? So it's a great, great question. Um, that essay was after a divorce that I had had. Um, that was a, a, a very long stage and period of my life um, when I was younger. And then um, suddenly being off on my own in my late 30s, um, starting over from scratch, essentially, and all those fears. And I um, thought I'd go freeze my eggs and, you know, sort of put the insurance in the bank. Mm -hmm. um, and so that essay was called The Chicken or the Egg, and it sort of charts that experience, but how I ultimately decided not to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And we can get into the more philosophical reasons around just that false insurance and, and just not believing, just believing that the right thing will happen and, and fearing that if I had, and this is in that essay, that if I had done that, it would somehow trick me or divert me to choosing things that I might not otherwise be meant to to choose right right so, okay um and then coming over that but that was the beginning of and then here i am you know and, and you know a decade later um right. never know believing when i wrote that essay that i would be where i am today or right. yeah so i mean how has i mean how has midlife changed or the perception of midlife i mean i, I find it hard to even acknowledge that i'm in midlife but i guess i am um, what does it mean anymore, really? Right. And is it important? Right. Well, I think it's starting to become, I don't say destigmatized and you know, women's women embracing that and 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 being more visible. We are in, in right. our, as artists, as storytellers, as as CEOs, as you know, entrepreneurs and all of that, that we found our voice. We know who we are. And it's not just, oh, mm -hmm. you know, you be a better mother, you know, we're wiser. And mm -hmm. there there is so much strength and um humility mm -hmm. and maturity that that comes with that that i think um in a way mitigates or, or a, a lot of that sort of oh i'm getting old and this is actually the opposite you know right uh, so I'm, it's interesting i mean um 
in terms of, you know, midlife, like I was always petrified of this concept and I never really wanted to really embrace it. And there does seem to be this Im- embracing of midlife, especially during the pandemic, you know, everyone goes gray and this is great. Um, you know, I haven't done that, but I mean, is, um, like in terms of having a baby in midlife, I mean, do people still question it? Is it something that, you know, your colleagues question or professionally question or your friends, like, do, do they say, are you sure? I mean, I mean, no, no. Although there are women I know at my age who are embarking on single motherhood surrogacy, um, right. and they and it depends, you know. And I'm sure there have been people going, "What are you doing? Are you sure?" I've not, I have not experienced that. It's been a, unbelievable support from friends and family. It's also because I believe that I'm convicted, you know. Right. And so it's clear, and right. what I, I've been through a lot in my life. I mean, as many of us have, and so. Yeah there's a trust there. It's like, you know, best what's, what your life is, what you, what you need to do. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, you mentioned earlier I, in a conversation before this interview that uh, there was this moment, uh, you know, post your divorce where um, I, either your, your ex partner said, you know, are you ever going to have children? Like, how can you, have, I mean, what, what, I mean, cause I think a lot of people are in that position where they're afraid to leave a relationship because they think this is my, this is my one chance at having a baby. I mean, right. tell me what was going through your, your head at the time. Completely. And I, and I, that was in that first essay and in a sort of funny way, but like, you, you know, you're, what are you, you you're going to be off on your own. You're no spring chicken, you know, looking right. back total spring chicken, right. 37 going on 20. Um, <laughs> but it, but it was uh, part of this, the blog I, I, I used to write called the Kugel Chronicles, tales of a Jewish cougar. Right. Um, it was about living my, sort of boot camp in my 30s of the 20s that I never got to live in, in you know, anyway, dating in New York. Um, but it really, um, you know, in, in hindsight, I mean, that, yes, that was terrifying. And, right. and I think that it almost became, you know, the, the joy and the beauty of all of this is that it was my, I say Achilles heel for a long time. It was the thing right. that I wasn't going to, you know, there was a lot of grief around it. Maybe that's the thing I'm just not going to have because I made this choice. Mm-hmm. maybe that's not, that was the sacrifice I made. I'm not going to be a mother. Um, right. And I wasn't able to get pregnant. So, um, you know, that was, there was a lot of, of grappling with that. And then the voices, right. Of others, the ex, all of that, like, when are you going to be a mother? What are you waiting for? Right. Why right. you, you know, you're only focused on your career and writing and writing and writing and writing and what you're not getting any younger. And right. that's, and that's true. Um, and, and yet they're, everyone's different. Everyone's path is different. And, um, and every path has regrets and joy and, and bitter is bitter and sweet. And so we just kind of have to listen to, you know, ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, so so yeah. it, it's fascinating. I mean, for someone who um, is in the process of becoming a mother <laughs> and who's actually thought about motherhood quite a bit for the last uh, quite, quite some time, at least decade, you know, you've written a lot uh, that touches on motherhood uh, in your fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what are your, I mean, motherhood is such a, a fraught concept. I mean, what do you think when people portray motherhood, even in the media right now or in fiction mm-hmm. or in, um, in, on film, like, what do you think motherhood is, means now in popular culture or what should it mean? Wow. And what should it mean? Um, it looks different for everyone mm-hmm. um, and it's an individual choice. I think 
But I also think that the struggles around it, the responsibility, the loss of self, those are all real things. Right. Um, that women, you know, historically have not been able to be open about, vocal about, right? It's taboo. Right. So, you know, um, you gotta love your kids. This is what our jobs to do. And and it's, and it's, um and, and so therefore I do think is part of the essay in midlife on fire as well is, is, is that I, I don't, I don't feel that that way now. I feel that right. I've done what I, I, I wanted to do and need right. to do. And yes, right. there was a price that I paid as well. Um, but, but I don't have that conflict anymore. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, your, your screenwriting. Um, you have a, uh, a film in development, a sci-fi film in development with uh, Amblin Entertainment. So if I understand correctly, that's uh, Steven Spielberg's company. Ooh, yeah. uh, Wow. So, so tell us about that. How did that happen? What's the movie or film or story about? Tell us. I can tell as much as I'm uh, permitted to tell, um, sure. but it's, it's ironically um, or not so coincidentally about um, it's a cautionary tale about motherhood and about women mm -hmm. trying to be in two places at once and doing mm -hmm. everything and being expected to do everything. Um, and so there's a, um, an AI component, um, in it, and it's it's really about mothers questioning how good if they're good moms, you know, right. can I be a good mom? Um, and and work and do everything I want to do and be myself and have a good marriage, um, right? All, all in the process of that, and, you know, what's what's going to give and um, and the the real struggle with that, and then sort of solved with this near future Black Mirror, and, and then there's a technology that attempting deal with the devil, so to speak, where there's a technology that can alleviate all of that. Um, right. so that's that's this in, in the short. It was a short story that I wrote while I was doing another fertility attempt. And I really it was the irony of it. And I'm researching babies and breastfeeding and, and all of that while I'm <laughs> you know, giving myself hormone shots. Um, <laughs> so it was it was an interesting time. But the, story, the idea just came from that personal experience and fears. How am right. I going to do how am I going to do this? Um, right. I wish, I wish there was a solution. I wish there was something where X, which is how a lot of my ideas come come to me, and a screenplay that I have as well as another motherhood story, which is dark. Um, right. But it is kind of that cautionary, Faustian, you know, deal that that, that a woman makes to have it all and to have right. a child that she doesn't have to um, worry about. Um, right. So you know, because I I had all of that, you know, and it's not I mean, you know. What if I could just push a button and have a baby come out of a vending machine? Right. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I've thought about that too. I would chips. Like, how can I get a baby? Um, Save a lot so of time. So it's ridiculous notions, right? And I think right. that's why sci-fi. I was never a huge like necessarily a sci-fi person, but it's relatable. It's it's not. It's very human. These aren't. These are more like psychological thrillers with the sci-fi. Right. That's, I mean, it sounds fascinating. So, I mean, how did you get in front of Amblin and, I mean, tell us the process. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a long road. My, my ex and I were screenwriters in LA together for a long time. So I did have some traction, um, although I, I really did not keep a lot of those contacts when I moved back to New York and began writing books, which um, mm -hmm. I love. It's been my saving grace. Mm -hmm. so it's been a lot of back and forth, which is ironic that I had a short story adapted for a movie. Um, and so, so, um, I reconnected with an agent that 
he and I had had that I had um, lost touch with um, because I really, you know, and I've written essays about this too. And I divorced, when, when he and I divorced, I divorced Hollywood as well. And I felt like I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I reached back out to her with a novel that I had written that's out right now for a TV series. We'll see what happens. Um, she loved the book. And then I had this random idea for this sci-fi idea and, she, and with her encouragement she's at a wonderful production company and the head of production there they helped me develop it and they said let's write it as a short story um, and so I did have that access and so she took it out um, and I trusted her because I mm -hmm. knew you know even getting reconnected with her is an emotional journey of me coming back into Hollywood in an unexpected way through the motherhood now as we're talking you're saying how these the essay that I wrote after I left and then coming back into that world on my own terms, my own voice, it was mm -hmm. pretty, um, it was a huge milestone, lots yeah. of tears. Um, and so, yeah, so the, it's still in development. Um, it's been re-optioned, which has been great. Um, and in the meantime, I decided to um, expand it and write the novel version. So wow. I've written um, the book version called Her Better Self. Um, and I'm and illegally, I have the, the, the publishing rights. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in support of, um, my film agent and my book agent and um, my book agent really liked the first draft. And so I'm rewriting it and we're hoping to go out with it in the spring. Um, and it's got a bit Amazing. of a girl on the train sort of um, thriller vibe and it's expanded a lot of the, the shorts that what was in the short story. And, um, and yeah, and, and ultimately I'll have the book, whatever happens with the movie, hopefully they'll both come out. <laughs> well, it sounds like that you have like amazing traction on both. Uh, so that's unusual to go from short story to novel. Um, I mean, have you done that before? Um, not really. Mm -mm. I mean, I've, I've written short stories, nothing that I was, you know, I was, I love fiction. I mean, I've also right. written, you know, like, you know, nonfiction. Um, it was more that I had um, the short story and, and, and didn't want to rely on Hollywood, was kind of listening to my, myself and saying, what do I want to write next? What haven't I not fully unpacked? What is still burning in there? What is that, you know, my imagination still like looping around constantly. Mm -hmm. And it was that story. Just, I, I wanted to take it further. Right. Um, and, um, and it helped, you know, to have a, a the spine, the loose, the loose high concept of the short story. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I, and I loved it. I loved it. And so, and, 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 it, and I had written the other motherhood screenplay in between. And that was when COVID hit. And I was just like, you know, and Hollywood was understandable. Everybody was, you know, right. shut down. And I, what can I do? And not have to depend on, not, not write a blueprint and then need others to do something with it, but where I can just sit and wrap myself in, in prose. Um, mm. It's glorious. Yeah, true, actually. It you know, I know. Writing as a saving is just, uh, is such a fabulous escape right now, really. Delicious. It really is. I, I don't know. Somebody told me you could have, you know, a hundred million dollars and everything you want, but you're not allowed to ever write again. That'd be a tough call. I don't like them. Take that away from me. Yeah. Right? No. It's, it's essentially, yeah. I mean, it's how you survive really. I think it's, a, it's a survival mechanism for those that have to do it. That's the best analogy mm -hmm. I have, but. It makes sense of the world, makes sense of our world. And in, in doing so, connecting with with other people who go, oh my God, I've never, I felt, I felt that way too. I thought I was alone. I feel right. understood. I feel seen. You said the right. thing that I haven't admitted to myself or to anyone, or, you know. And that's it's that constant need to to connect. 
that I, I think fuels it, but for, you know, through telling stories. Um, well, I think you actually touched on it earlier. I mean, you know, it, it's not coincidental that, you know, so much of your fiction and nonfiction has um, touched on motherhood because it's been something that, you know, has preoccupied you at a very, I'm assuming conscious and subconscious level for many, many years. And, and sometimes, you know, you know, the ways I imagine to deal with trauma or to deal with traumatic events is to write about them. Like it's really, I mean, I think the, one of the only ways to get it out of your system, right? Yes. yes. And um, you, and you know, I, and I, most writers and they, and that's one of the differences that I found with, with screenplays and books, very distinctive differences. A lot of novelists, authors, best memoirists are writing from a, not, not what's the cool idea that I can then retrofit Right. It's a work. It's it's something that has been gnawing at us. That it's a it's it's um, that burning thing that needs to be told. And and through telling it, we come to terms that we we heal, we make sense of it. Um, and so, I think that's ultimately um, why I I I, love, I don't remember your question. Why I think for me, novel writing is so is so healing. Whereas a right. lot of ideas, you know, and, and I, and so you said, I mean, I started doing this, it, I wasn't intentionally um, pursuing this cool motherhood AI thing so that I, that's a cool, it, it, you know, time-wise I didn't plan it. If I had to plan right. a trend you, against a trend, like forget it. Mm -hmm. um, but it was um, something that I, that I started writing later, you know, right. when, I, when I was grappling with the realities and it wasn't this abstract thing in the future. It was when I was being weighed down by it. Right. So tell us about what are the big projects coming up for you? Wow. Well, um, I got to finish this book. I'm going to get get the, the Amblin extended novel, Her Better Self. Um, have my <laughs> right. agent um, give me notes. Hopefully go out with it in the spring. Um, I've been, um, I have another screenplay that um, I'm considering um, I'm plotting. I'm actually doing research for. It's based on a, um, something from a long time ago, but um, sort of a biopic. Um, and, um, and I have an independent film that I wrote that's a, a small movie that um, there's a director, producer attached that's, um, I believe, in pre-production. It's a little, mm -hmm. little movie. Um, so I'm hopeful about that. And then I'm going to contemplate my next book. Um, and then all mm -hmm. around that, as you know, I'm, I'm a coach. I'm a writing coach. Yeah. I mean, I'd, so tell us, because I mean, oh. uh, I have to acknowledge, I mean, uh, I've uh, Orit is has been a writing coach for me, um, and I've relied on her expertise uh, in the past. And I'm, you know, it was just it blew my mind some of your insights. So tell us about um, uh, about your company, uh, about how you help authors. Yes, yeah, so um, I I always felt that I had um, a unique sort of experience, having been in the mm -hmm. film side and in the book side, and just being in, uh, by nature nurturing. A fit, like wanting to fix problems right mm -hmm. and I think that's even having worked in advertising it's like what's what's the what's the shorthand like and right. seeing I never really had a mentor and I did take a circuitous route to get to where I am to save yeah. people who just don't know and demystify right. the process for them and say wait you're you're right you're writing that idea as a 500 page fantasy novel why write it as a short story or start right. Or, you know, just helping them or frame it as something else, or maybe it should be a female protagonist. Mm -hmm. You know, what's, what's your goal? And really helping diagnose their block and then prescribe not just the path forward, but also the, 
the components. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wished that I had had that, you know, um, yeah. some of us are lucky to have a community and friends and, and all that, but ultimately, you know, having a sort of writing therapist who gets it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, so my experience on the, on the book side, on the screen side, and then on the book side, querying book agents, having written books, having written a memoir proposal and TV, you know, it's um, some successfully and some not, um, mm-hmm. but it's really, you know, pitching in the rooms in Hollywood and really learning, putting myself in the shoes of the audience or the person that you're pitching your project to and how to frame your story so that it it not only is grabbable and it pops, but that also you can go back to your material and think about it in a more organized, um, high concept way. Right. And so it, it, it really varies. So all of my clients come to me with different, um, they're in different stages. They're working on different kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, the book, the author part, which is, I love it. It's like I found my tribe. Um, and I, I help screenwriters a lot and I enjoy that. And I've done craft talks on screenwriting and more so the pitching process, the submission process. Right. Um, what's a query letter? Who do you send it to? Um, how, what to expect, and that whole landscape. Mm-hmm. But also what I learned from the Amblin project and from my representation in LA and just the climate there, intellectual property IP is is critical, whether it's a graphic novel or a published um, short story or mm-hmm. a, um, a memoir idea based on, you know, something or a novel, whether it's a bestseller or not. You know, mm-hmm. we see the Witherspoon companies and sure books are being made into movies, but there are so many wonderful books published or not published that fell under the radar right. that can be incredible screen projects if they're given yeah. the right, the chance and the exposure in a way to frame them up so that they're so that whoever's receiving that submission, be it a manager or producer, can see it as a movie. Right. Without compromising the integrity of the book. Right. I mean, I think that's the hard part. I mean, for a lot of writers, as you say, they write, but they're not, I mean, pitching, I mean, I hear it all the time. It's it's the pitching part that petrifies everyone i mean is there like is there one or two lessons you can impart for people that are about to pitch like what what should they know that's a great question um besides like i always say why why do we care right um that's a good one actually it's true why do we care like why would someone want to watch this and it's not like oh you know and but pitching be succinct we don't want to get in the weeds nobody wants to hear the guy walks out the door and then he goes here and it's this frame it up it's there's a people sort of cringe when someone says it's this meets that it's you know right liners meets you know get out i just made up a random mishmash um <laughs> someone's been running with that <laughs> i haven't seen either in a while um you know set but and give us the context set right. and the tone so they're right away they have something to hook into it's a movie it's a thriller in the vein of x that follows the story of a woman who finds out who ends up in a da da da. So right. you know, you keep it broad, but um, the mistake, the pitfall, understandably, is that people get into the themes or the feelings or, or, or the world. They'll describe the whole world. Right. What's the story? Who are we following? What happened? Right. And, right. That, and that is, is hard, but I, I recommend um, people write out as if you're emailing a friend or you're sitting at a bar, tell me what you, your story's about. Tell me right. your story's about. And sort of stepping away from being hemmed in from the paper, the computer, and trying to form perfect sentences. 
um, be more casual about it and succinct. Yeah, I can see that. I, I've had people try to explain what their story is about to me. And I think there's, there's nothing <laughs> more irritating and demeaning because of course, you know, you, you want to, if you can't figure it out for yourself, you actually don't want to read the story. I mean, for the most part. So I think that's, that's exactly a, you actually throw, you said something to me that I, at once in a previous meeting, which was brilliant. So I actually really need to uh, repeat it because I tell all my writer friends now that, that, you know, especially when they're, you know, looking at their chapters and rewriting, I mean, um, get in, you say, get in at the last possible moment and get out at the as earliest early as possible. And yes. Right. Don't answer the question yet. Leave it for the next scene and start it later. Right. Um, so we keep, you know, it's the key to keeping a story moving, but it's also, um, it's, it's actually a screenwriting and there are a lot of screenwriting formulaic or, you know, tropes that I've learned that, that I've applied even subconsciously originally to, to books. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a re storytelling is storytelling ultimately. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So there are some tricks um, and I'm working with you as well. There's, there's a way to even look at your novel mm -hmm. through a screen lens and still have it be an incredible literary novel. Um, right. But thinking more visually, thinking about uh, pacing. Mm -hmm. No, this has been great. So I don't know if we mentioned it specifically, but uh, the company is called uh, Pitchsmith. So uh, everyone, if you're looking for uh, support on transitioning from a book to film, I, I highly recommend that you look up Orit. And uh, other than that, we I can't wait to see what comes next for you. Thank you so much. This has been it, really great. It's been lovely. And thank you so much. And we will have you on again after the Spielberg movie comes out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Bye. And thank you, everyone.